finished my suite, and now we can record. And to clarify for the listener, that's I finished my suite, not I finished comma my suite. Oh, lovely! Like, uh, like we've not we're you know it's a very loving podcast between the two of us, but it's not it's not got to that kind of saying ducky after things to each other. Ivo was chomping on a sort of um an 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 ursatz round trees berry heart. Maybe that's rude to call an ursatz Haribo. I don't uh, really know. Uh, well, I'd, I'll say where they are in the Haribo canon. Uh, well, they're not in the canon. Are they the DC universe to Haribo's Marvel universe? My father bought them for my daughter to make a bus journey more palatable a couple of weeks ago. And um, I remember my mother telling my father off for doing that and saying that he was taking a, a shortcut uh, <laughs> to being loved as a grandfather. Um, and they were then shoved in the glove compartment of my car and I've just found them. We could not send him to boarding school, but that would be a shortcut. <laughs> um, I love the thought that I would say. I'm ready to podcast with you, my sweet. And, <laughs> and perhaps we should talk to each other more intimately like that, although I'd argue it's already fairly intimate. Um, it's episode five of Gig Pigs. Yes. <laughs> my sweet. And, um, and I'll tell you what it is. I've, I've got is another it? sweet for you. Ooh. Uh, it's, um, it could be about a classical suite. S-U-I-T-E. Oh. It's a venture into the classical realm. It's no longer gig pigs, possibly. We're in we're in the classical realm and we're recording yes. in the Yorkshire Sculpture Park. In my car. In Ivo's car. So are we gig pigs or in fact sculpture vultures? Oh, that's fantastic. Now then <laughs> we were talking about it's how a we, slant rhyme, sorry. We couldn't find a classical related rhyme for gig pigs. And there was a point in the Symphony car Symphony ponies. Where I was, thought we'd no stop no. it. I thought we'd just given up. Uh, on that, but actually, you devised this whole plan to come to the yeah, sculpture yeah, yeah. park so you could say sculpture <laughs> vultures, <laughs> and I respect it. <laughs> it's, it's been a lovely minor detour on our route, uh, touring together as we are from last night's Durham to tonight's Sheffield. We are uh, in Yorkshire at the sculpture park, and how lovely and apt to be here, not just because sculpture rhymes with vulture. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of our most cultured, surely, podcasts so far. Absolutely. But also apt due to the uh, the, the geographical location of our guests this week's upbringing. V- very much so. Perfectly phrased. Uh, we <laughs> are... Um, yes. It's not grammatically incorrect, but it didn't. it's not idiomatically lush, I would say, what I've said there. Listen, you're so frequently so very lush. Um <laughs> And that was you at, at your less lush. <laughs> but luckily, this episode brim, brims with lushness because we're in the company of Kieran Hodgson. Would you say he is the, the um, modern comedy's poet laureate of Yorkshire? <laughs> I mean, there are obviously uh, many uh, fantastic comedians from Yorkshire, but Kieran, a lot of his shows have either been direct love letters to or very interwoven with his Yorkshire childhood. Yes. I'm thinking specifically of his first Edinburgh Comedy Award nominated show, of four. Uh, 2015's Lance. Yes, he's done. You know, the show before French Exchange is fantastic. There's five, five excellent shows that he's done in in the last sort of maybe t- ten years. You've got you've got France, you've got cycling, you've got uh, classical music, you've got Brexit, and now Scotland as the sort of five macro themes of uh, of Kieran Hodgson. Yes, and I'll just go through my shows by the same measurement. <laughs> eaten, 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 top trumps. And, uh, 
So arguably, Kieran is a more <laughs> theme-based. Absolute, absolutely devastating, uh, unfair self-critique there. But um... that's uh, thank you for saying that it's unfair, and it is a bit unfair, but it is also uh, entirely truthful to say that my shows are not as uh, thematic. Oh, what about what about eaten eaten? What about eaten eaten eaten? Should I have a kid? Brackets. I have actually already had a kid before. Um, don't, don't, let's uh, listen. I would much rather just say that I'm overly eaten dependent <laughs> than get to some of the central narrative contradictions of 2018's motion sickness. <laughs> you, you're trying to cheer me up, and and you're, and you're playing a very risky game. Um, and we texted Kieran to say, you know, your classic bit of uh, week of release admin. Uh, do you want us to mention anything in particular? Uh, may as well say right now he's on tour with his fantastic show Big in Scotland. You've got to see it. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. I went with my aunt uh, to see it at the Soho Theatre a couple of weeks ago and we loved it. And so did my aunt's friends, Sue and Sue. And uh, <laughs> But we said that and we said that we were, you know, we've been exchanging notes from the road. He's been tweeting uh, very amusing um, and, and charming and also historically and culturally flavoured notes from the various train stations that he's been travelling to and from on his tour, whereas for us it would just be like, uh, let's go to Fabia again. <laughs> and, um, and we said, uh, we're now stopping um, at the Yorkshire Sculpture Park. Have you ever graced it? And of course he's replied, graced it he asks dragged to it every other weekend um in his in his childhood so we have had lunch at the cafe on his recommendation should the weather hold we're going to go and look at some outdoor sculpture uh, but first we're going to tell you a little bit more about what we did with kieran at the edinburgh festival this year alex what we did is we went to see the amatis trio uh, together with thomas Quasthoff, um who i think kieran pronounces um, more successfully than i just did there uh, in the podcast, and they performed a uh, series of classical pieces. Uh, it was 11 a.m. on Monday, the 13th of August, I believe. Yes. It was a, it was a series of classical pieces, but interspersed with um, readings from uh, the First World War, uh, primarily from German soldiers uh, in, in the First World War, with some other selections as yes. well. Oh, it was a very profound morning of classical music and theatre and history. So yes. up up our various streets, but um, something we'd been particularly keen to go to with Kieran, or we were keen to go to something of that sort with Kieran, because he's someone who talks very eloquently uh, about classical music. As we've touched on, he, he did a um, wonderful uh, show, Maestro, in 2016, um, about his love particularly of Mahler. It was a pleasure to go to this with him. The episode starts with us having a pre-concert coffee at Kilimanjaro in Edinburgh. Yes. Lovely little crackle of cafe vibes. Um, we're looking forward to the concert. Kieran makes, as far as I'm aware, his only factual slip, um, which is that he <laughs> says that it's going to be an hour and 40 without interval. Uh, and then cut to us in the main body of the podcast, reminiscing about the ice creams we enjoyed at the <laughs> interval. Um, but uh, though I cannot claim to be able to speak either, either before or indeed since uh, this episode as um, certainly as endlessly and as granularly about this subject material as I have been able to about, e.g., the Arctic Monkeys. Um, I'm so pleased to uh, be able to add this episode to the Gig Pigs canon. To the Gig Pigs canon. Kieran talks extremely eloquently and amusingly about all of this. I th- it's a real, it was a real treat. He's uh, also, if you haven't come across later. any of his shows or indeed any of his um, uh, extremely viral impressions of characters from example, for example, The, the Crown oh. uh, or um, Happy Valley, he is um, a vocal 
wizard. Yes. And we get little bits of that throughout. We do. Him, him really throwing his voice around the word Kwastov, um, but also just lovely impressions of some of the particular characters that we bumped into at the Queen's Hall in Edinburgh, <laughs> uh, uh, amongst other things. And some just lovely vignettes from his own gig, both pop and classical going experiences. He's an absolute delight of a guest. We hugely recommend you checking out uh, Big in Scotland on tour in what remains of this year and into the spring of next. Uh, but for now, please enjoy Kieran Hodgson talking about Thomas Crustoff and the Amartis Trio. Kieran, is this the first podcast you've ever done in this cafe? It is. I feel we should mention the name of the cafe in order to thank them for, well, hosting us. We didn't ask them if they wanted to. <laughs> we just plonked ourselves on a table and Forgiveness, set up a not permission. microphone. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're in Kilimanjaro Coffee in Edinburgh during the Fringe, and I've never before attempted a podcast here, but I think it's going all right. Well, even coming to Kilimanjaro, is this your first trip to Kilimanjaro, Alex? I think it might be, actually. It's so central that it seems mad to say that over a decade it couldn't have been there. But I'm rather enthralled, Kieran, to you, not just as a classical music lover, and that's the main object of our business today, but also, as I would say, an Edinburgh Fringe pre-lunch player. You're a wholesome man. You're a healthy man. You play tennis. You drink coffee. You inspire those around you into better habits. That's very, very generous of you to say. You're one of the only people, and like lunch isn't even a hugely ambitious thing at the Edinburgh Fringe, but you're one of the only people who makes lunch dates sort of in the last couple of weeks of July, who's already envisaging <laughs> getting an Africa wrap at like sort of 12 o'clock. I love a fancy lunch at the Fringe, and often because of the way showtimes line up, and I do not like to ingest maybe two to three hours before my show, it's great to have a lovely big lunch. And it also helps pass the worrying time and there's a lot of worrying time if you're an evening person the real heroes or are they villains are the people <laughs> who start doing their shows at 11 a.m yes often parents yes. but there's a real fleet of people usually at the stand quite high profile people yeah who have had their fringe day done and dusted by noon which is extraordinary did you ever perhaps back in your student sketch days have a show that early Supervillain was Supervillain at around 2pm if I completely imagine that yes but the earliest was Kieran and the Joes team powered at 105 which venue in just the tonic at the GRV I think it was something it was oh, one yeah, of those yeah. ones that were just off um, now Guthrie house. Street now the mash house yes a venue that has had as many names as I've had hot dinners but it was a lovely <laughs> venue and a great time. And because no one else would dream of putting a comedy show on that early in the day, we were full. And everyone in the audience was surprised. And of the three cast members, who found it most difficult to ready themselves for a show at that time? Were you cracking the whip in the flat? Joe Markham, I think, bless him, struggled with stage life full stop. <laughs> with the learning of the lines, the arrangement of props, the pressure of an audience, and yeah, the early start time. But I was always there to corral everyone and say everyone else's bits of the script if they couldn't remember them. We like to start every podcast by throwing a former yeah, member throwing of, Joe Markham of the under the bus <laughs> trio <laughs> under the bus. Is this the first classical music gig that you've been to in Edinburgh? Or is that an incredibly naive question on our part? It is this year. We keep going on about the fringe and making that very 
arrogant elision between the fringe and everything that happens in Edinburgh in August. But of we course, are not going to the fringe now. We're going to the EIF, the International Festival, the OG. This isn't in the brochure. Not our big heavy one. In the Glasgow stand, they have a very old EIF poster on the door of the green room, which I think is from right. like 69 or something. And it has, it's all classical music, basically. Usually, back in my days of being a mid-afternoon or early evening guy, I would treat myself several times during the month of August to a nice big classical concert at the Usher Hall. Mm. But their start times are 7.38, and so they've been completely out for me for a few years. So I'm yeah delighted to be going to see this 11 a.m. concert. <laughs> 11 a.m., and we picked it out as a trio largely because it was at a time that we could all <laughs> see it, which is not to cast aspersions on the quality of the concert, which I'm sure will be excellent. But it's not only pre-noon, it's also an hour and 40 straight through. So Lou visits beforehand, lads. Yeah. I don't know how you are in the morning. I'm regretting the coffee that I'm having now. But we're going to see the Amatis trio with Thomas Kvasthoff. But like any good Edinburgh festival slash fringe show, I'm sure they'll... At about the three-quarters mark, be a dramatic tone shift, which yes. pulls us back in. I don't know what the <laughs> classical music will have to saying something deeply personal 45 minutes into your It's all going to be hideously personal, I think, because it's, it's, about, war. it's about war. It's, I think it's lots of German letters home from the front, which will be hopefully in German, but maybe probably in English, just as a <laughs> sop to the audience here in the UK. So I think it will be heavy from the get-go heavy throughout and maybe the tonal shift will be a bit of lightness yes a bit of comedy will be the change about 20 past 12 yeah <laughs> i really don't know what we're in for i've looked through the listings of the music there's a nice diet of some more confrontational 20th century stuff got some webern in there some serialist music but then lots of very meat and potatoes german romantic 19th century stuff we've got some lovely schumann in there so i imagine it will be themes of loss of innocence yes. featuring heavily and the lovely romantic world that was before the war and then the harsh experimental world that followed it. Will you look over and give us a nudge when anything particularly meat and potatoes yeah, is yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just do a little, <laughs> a little sort of <laughs> gesture. <laughs> you going, there's some boiled ham and me going, felt quite saffrony to me actually. <laughs> what are your hopes for the next hour and 40 lads? Well, I suppose even just hearing you describing, you know, the different sort of passages and styles we could anticipate. I'll hope for a gig. A gig? <laughs> a show where I can sort of observe the different sort of sections and intentions of it and have a sense of the narrative that's being conveyed. I think my trips to any sort of classical music concert or very occasionally in my life opera or even a particularly sort of opaque theatre... I often find myself realising how used I am to being spoon-fed by almost all of the comedy and drama I watch in my life. Well, I would have loved to have spoon-fed you a bit better, and it's my fault living in Glasgow because you've asked me many times, Alex, to try and take you to a classical thing in London, for which I might have been better prepared. So we're here with something that is a little bit unknown to me, but I completely understand your desire to have some sort of explanation some sort of framework and toolkit with which to understand what you're listening to because i think throwing people in at the deep end with this stuff as we're about to do is uh, <laughs> not always particularly helpful but hopefully this pairing of words and music 
will reinforce any kind of sense of journey and what the intention of the music is and how it's relating in either complement or contrast to the letters and war texts that we're about to receive. How are you feeling about it, Alex? Gosh, how am I following either of those two very eloquent things there? Do you want it to be loud? Do you want it to be quiet? (laughs) I suppose my consumption of art in general is that I always have a great fear of stuff that is like pure aesthetic and I much prefer theatre to painting Mm. and I'm very scared that my immediate intuitive aesthetic reaction to something will be wrong or dumb. (laughs) I need to grow out of that. Yeah, it's a shame. Your reaction is your reaction and it has a legitimacy and a correctness. No, there are better reactions and worse reactions. (laughs) But I think that's very much a function of comedy as an art form in that if comedy isn't connecting with the audience in the most often literal way, it's losing the audience and it's not achieving its objective of being funny. You start a joke by saying... I'm really sad, guys. <laughs> Literally, you have to... Here are my emotions. Yeah, here about this. Fire in with that. Obliqueness is possible in comedy, but trickier and rarer and always, in the end, has to meet the audience somewhere where the audience can understand right. and laugh. And idiomatically, a lot of jokes essentially follow the form of, is it just me or does this joke not work? <laughs> like, yes. Like, I always find it very strange to think of <laughs> classical musicians or very serious actors or ballet dancers and things who have an amazing skill set but who must find it very difficult to know whether the audience is enjoying it or not Mm. you dance to silence for an hour on stage and then there's some applause at the end but how do you know if that's affected anyone yeah only broadway baby can decide (laughs) that's time we're gonna go pop off into that concert now and we're gonna reconvene in a couple of days to talk about it after. Yeah, it might actually. need some processing, guys. We'll need to process The this. First World War, famously, <laughs> takes a bit of time to deal with. So, we have departed Kilimanjaro Cafe. Yes. Uh, we, have, we have watched the Amatis Trio and Thomas Kvasthoff, and we have skipped forward three days where Kieran, Ivo and I all met up again, and Kieran had kindly bought us some delicious treats from the Soderberg Swedish uh, coffee shop and bakery in Edinburgh and you will now hear us uh, interrogating the pronunciation of various uh, items from his selection. Delighted that's how the episode starts. Enjoy. <laughs> Do you want to just keep speaking? I will though? go, yeah, hi, can I get the melanzane al parmigiana? Yeah, get all that. I mean, even ordering the Swedish rolls and buns this morning, I was like, the blåbörre, please. (laughs) What about the word that is spelt (laughs) C-H-O-R-I-Z-O? The problem is, there's so many different ways I've heard of pronouncing it, and of course, I would go, I mean, I suppose chorizo, but then I think I've had a Spaniard say to me, I know it's chorizo, but I don't quite know. I wouldn't say chorizo. But there's definitely a chur at the top. You're not throwing yourself into a... Chorizo, maybe. I like chorizo because it's a compromise. You've got to make two choices and you've gone one way with one choice and the other way with the other choice and you can't say fairer than that, really. (laughs) Chorizo is the one I always pivot to because... Chorizo, you would say? No, I wouldn't. But my dear, dear friend, Julian, with whom I lived quite extensively during the national lockdowns, pronounced it chorizo once. And I said, can we say chorizo, Julian? And he said... (laughs) No, and he said with a single syllable, he conveyed 
You're most welcome to lodge indefinitely in my home, but my pretensions are mine to enjoy in this home. <laughs> yes, yes. Stop making your Philistine points. The other one which I had to come to terms with as a consequence of unstoppable anglicization was just saying, I would like a panini as opposed to a panino, panino. Yeah. which some people I know would raise objections to. I just think you have to go with the tides <laughs> of history at some point. And when you go and get ice creams for the gang, do you get some Cornetti? <laughs> yes, three Cornetti, please. <laughs> no, it will be Cornettos as well. Especially, I mean, it's a British brand, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is. So <laughs> keep the British pluralization for heaven's sake. Well, I'm just thinking about the Cornetto advert from about six years ago, which, given the subject of today's podcast, I believe was sort of a riff on quite a famous piece of opera where it's someone singing just one Cornetto. Just one Cornetto. Give it, give to, it me. to me. Yes. Which is them bastardizing which... Osole mio. Yes, quite a famous one, actually. <laughs> it's considerably longer than six years ago, by the way. Is it? That's oh, one no, of those classics from the before times when adverts were full of humour and wit. Right. Yeah. So it's like a 12-year thing that I've... <laughs> Longer? Oh, no. Are you slotting in next to with these Ferrero Rochers? You're already spoiling us, Ambassador. And that's just been gone for ages. Is that what we're saying? I don't know. I mean, I'm, sorry, I'm not sure. I didn't mean to volunteer that too quickly and meanly as an old ad. The other one that took classical music and put in some words was everyone's a fruit and nut case, of course. Do you remember that? No, is that a sort of dairy milk one? No, it's for fruit and nut. Of course, it is now rebranded as Dairy Milk with Fruit and Nut, but at the time it was just known as Fruit and Nut Toot Court. And yes, everyone's a Fruit and Nut case to a bit of Tchaikovsky. Nice. Yep. And your show this year, Kieran. None of this is mentioned, yeah. <laughs> no, although I'd watch an hour of it with great pleasure. But you, and I haven't been able to watch it yet, very sadly, because of our clashing slots, but you both sort of court and tease your Scottish audience, your Scottish, your new compatriots, your adopted yes. compatriots. yes. What is the tease that you most enjoy of a mispronunciation or a bastardization? There's a lovely line where an English friend comes to visit me and says, oh, I'm very sorry for stealing your can of urn brew, which is based on something my aunt said once. <laughs> um, so that's a nice little one. I mean, some of the cheekier things I say, which will now sound very patronizing when taken out of the loving context of the show. There's just a nice one where someone asks me, if, have I gone all native in Scotland? Have I started eating porridge and resenting things? Which is <laughs> quite near the end of the show. And by that point, the Scots are well on board. So there's a lot of... <laughs> which is a noise I've really cultivated this year. Yeah, what a yeah. lovely feeling. There's a really lovely running joke about Teslas in the show. Yes. You've seen Kieran's show. I have seen Kieran's show. Where did you go? I went on Sunday night. I've not stayed abreast of all of Alex's movements during his trip, though, of course, <laughs> our lives have intertwined quite significantly. Yep, yep. Including on Monday. Including on Monday at the Queen's Hall, mm -hmm. a stunning venue mm -hmm. to watch the Amartis Trio. And listen, let's get straight back into the world of European accents. When we went for lunch and had an Africa wrap afterwards without Alex, who'd gone to do his work in progress, you said the name of the German singer who was doing the readings mm -hmm. with a lot more gusto than I think I would have done. Was it Quarzthoff? I would go with Quarzthoff. That might be incorrect. It's a Q-U-A-S-T-H-O-F-F. I instinctively put a nice little V in there because that's how Germans speak in war <laughs> movies. Quarzthoff. But it might just be Quarzthoff, but... Something tells me that's not quite right. So I'm going to go with the V. I'm going to say Thomas Kvasthoff. So he was sort of 
directing a play by way of the readings, which mm. amounted to probably about as much, possibly slightly more of the running time than the actual music itself. Roughly 50-50. Mm. Did you know of his work before? I did. He's extremely successful, highly regarded classical singer, particularly in the field of Lieder, which is sort of German art songs, Schubert and Schumann and all that crowd. And I'm most familiar with him from one of my favorite pieces of music, which is a song cycle called Guralida, which is a huge orchestral piece with singers and a choir, at the end of which there's a wonderful thing which I put in one of my live shows actually called Sprechgesang, where it's sort of a half-sung, half-spoken thing. And I have this amazing recording, which Thomas Kvastov did. And I saw him do it live with Simon Rattle at the proms a few years ago. And he's absolutely amazing. It requires this very strange, unearthly vocal style. And I just sort of nicked it because it was so compelling and put it in one of my live shows as a sort of ludicrous thing that I would want to try and emulate. I'll give you a brief Blast it. Please. Herr Gänsefuß, Frau Gänsekraut, nun doch doch noch geschwind. And things like that. <laughs> and Kvastov, you may have heard a couple of moments where he sort of let rip with his full vocal power. He'd kept it very quiet most of the time. I mean, he filled the Albert Hall with that voice of his. He doesn't sing so much, I think. He sort of retired from his mainline singing stuff a few years ago, but he's still very active. But he was reading out the letters. Can I ask you one very quick thing? Yes. Yes. Are you going to ask a question? Yes, of course I'm going to ask Kieran if yeah. he's a fan of the band Yard Act, <laughs> um, from Leeds. I think tell, I came tell, across, tell. I've not heard of them. I came across the word Sprechgesang first when watching and reading about your show Maestro in 2016. And it's like the bits you have very kindly offered up today, but there have been a, perhaps not quite a glut or a slew, but certainly a modest crew of new spunky bands doing not the same sort of very, it's a very different kind of thing, but yeah. it's called Sprechgesang. It's this sort of, it's, it's this, your, it's your this yard chatty singing. your do-nothings and arguably your self-esteems. And there was such a lot of it that um, there was then an article, yes. which I don't think I can completely endorse because I, I love Yard Act and they were slightly used as the whipping boys of this article, but called Landfill Sprechgesang, <laughs> which is you're living a certain kind of life if your heart rate is increased by seeing the phrase Landfill Sprechgesang. <laughs> but it was about the sort of use and misuse of this new technique. Yeah, wow. I'm such an old man. I didn't know that it had come into... Well, we're such young men that we didn't know that Kvastov has been doing it. <laughs> oh, yes. Years and years. Many, many years. Were you excited to see him in the building as a sort of celebrity then? I was a little bit, yeah. And yet, I felt it was a strange use of his talents. No sooner had Alex gone to his work in progress... Then Kieran was saying, I know I've got to save it. Yes, you were whipping. He was ripping. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone sat within a chair or two of us at the uh, Nile Valley Cafe would have got a pretty strong sense that it wasn't five stars for Thomas. The guys singing performance classical music credentials are untouchable. So this is nothing to to do with him. It's a casting issue. I thought because he was coming along, I thought there might be letters in German. Maybe there would be a screen translating them or something like that. But everything was in English. And in the first half and the second half, there were the letters and texts came from different sources. So in the first half, it was mostly British, I think, or allied. And then in the second half, there were a few more German ones. But it was all in English. And there was not any singing required. And... 
Kvasthoff's English was very good, but he was maybe not the most natural English-speaking actor. I think that's fair to say. I did enjoy when he pronounced the word plough, pluff. I thought it was <laughs> absolutely wonderful. Good luck anyone trying to learn O-U-G-H sounds. But it felt like he was a big allure. And certainly when I saw that name in the program, I thought, oh, this would be great. And I thought it was an odd use of his many talents because he was a little halting in reading some of the letters, I thought. And he brought gravitas. And occasionally there were moments when he was required to act out scenes from the trenches, for example, sort of like, guess, guess, boys. <laughs> and that's when it exploded and everyone sat up and like, oh, okay. But then the rest of it was fairly reflective, I guess. And I thought, I don't know, Derek Jacobi could have done <laughs> yeah, a good job of it, maybe slightly more flowingly, shall we say. Is the language issue, is that sort of the tyranny of it being broadcast on Radio 3 such that in the room subtitles wouldn't work if they yes. were saying and so so this is yes i think radio three listeners will take a lot but a solid 45 minutes worth of letters read out in german will probably <laughs> try even their patience yeah <laughs> i've got friends that boast quite forcefully about having ditched the today program and listening to radio three only now that i think would somehow find it in themselves to, <laughs> to avoid to, that yeah appreciate it in a very performative sense performative way yeah and I hope you will forgive the quite sort of one note battery from me of questions along the theme of, you know a lot about classical music. <laughs> so what did you think of this aspect of the classical music <laughs> that I may as well be a newborn child about? <laughs> when you arrived, was seeing the program the first you saw of what pieces were going to be played by the Martis Trio? Yes, I'd looked them up a little bit online, but here's a very annoying sort of technical point. A lot of the things they listed were like, oh, we'll be playing the Schubert string trio in E flat, I think it is. And I thought, oh, they're going to play the whole thing because the whole thing is like 45 minutes and it's three movements. But instead, they just played the middle movement of it on the day. So I didn't quite know what selections were going to be made because if they played the full listing as it appeared online, it would have taken about three hours. So it was little snippets, which is I quite like it as a concert style really much as i love to sit for a solid hour and a half of mala i found the choice of the chocolate box approach smaller chocolatey boxy things was helpful yes we talk on nearly every episode of the podcast about our more standard pop rock fair about quests to setlist fm the website aggregator of concert set lists and all of the related stats which really oh, does wow. spoil those who need such information in their lives oh so when you go to a gig you know what's gonna be coming next. well that's um, the debate about whether you facilitate revision or spoil the surprise okay and similarly i suppose did you at any point wrestle with would it be nice just to hear them strike up each new piece and just discover it that way? There was a little bit of that. I was not familiar with too many of the pieces. So there was a lot of discovery as we went through. And yeah, there's a couple of nice surprises. You just always know what's going to be played. And then the thrill of discovery and uncertainty will come with the encore, which we didn't get, sadly. They're not so common in the UK, but if you go overseas it is standard practice to give at least one encore, usually at the end of the first half and at the end of the second half. And that's where you're like, oh, what are we going to get? What are we going to get? <laughs> and sometimes it'll be, you'll get the thrill of, oh, it's that. You know, he's doing the girl with the flaxen hair. <laughs> or sometimes it's like, oh, it's Yankee Doodle, but in a sort of virtuosic violin style. That's amazing. <laughs> so that's always your little treat in terms of uncertainty. Where do we get that? Where do we get that in the, the UK then? 
I don't know. It's just I think people are more anxious about leaving the venue on right. time. <laughs> I once went to I went to this. It was a solo piano recital by a Russian pianist at La Fenice in Venice, and he did the program. Happy days, huge clap. On he comes, plays an encore. Great, huge applause. Off he goes, comes back, plays another encore. He played six encores, and I left after the fifth. And I was walking through the thinking oh well they'll be petering out now and i could then in the corridor hear the seventh and i thought this is dragging it out terribly <laughs> but yeah it's not really part of our tradition here for whatever reason i mean i don't know whether you're sort of watching classical artists in the same way you watch comedians going are they just enjoying this sort of tantric joke and all the audience's willingness to go along with it. <laughs> do you believe that the most sort of talented and rarefied musicians in the world just are in such a separate zone they're not thinking about this encore's a bit indulgent they're just experiencing the wave of approval and the desire to surf it as late into the night as possible yes i think with some of them and if you've ever been to a long opera and then seen the long curtain call afterwards there is a feeling of keeping the wave going even as the audience is uh halving in between each of the repeated comes out for bows. Probably a good episode to detonate your recent trip to the Grange, Alex. Oh, I wasn't able to go to the Grange. Oh, sorry. I thought you went to some opera. Well, and truly detonated that. I, <laughs> I did go to some opera with my parents recently. It was in a garden outside. The performance was on a sort of island in a sort of lake. Uh, and we were watching it on the edge. How very quantum of solace. Yeah. <laughs> and some flocks of geese flew by a number of times hats off to the stage manager yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes in the program that with a geese wrangler was quite high in the credits <laughs> long encore no sort of a good amount of applause but not a um not mm. what you're talking about i think is it sort of like 10 minutes of clapping or? yeah and i'd say again the europeans are worse for it and we're a bit more sort of like, we've all got trains to catch sort of <laughs> attitude, which is maybe unfair when someone's been singing their head off for four hours. But yeah, there yeah. You go. Alex, do you think, as someone who I'm going to say is a little bit further along than I am, do you think the moods of the different pieces, and indeed as a historian, reflected the moods of the extracts? Do you think they were well paired? I want to talk about the extracts as well. Yeah, please. We got them in full in the programme. Yeah, that was nice. Bit. Yes. I enjoyed the pieces. I mean, it was interesting that there was a mixture of sort of more classical stuff and more modern. There was sort of a... Yeah. Mr. Brightside was a surprise. Shh. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed the piece. Other surprising, almost swanee whistle, cello dive. But Yeah, uh, there was a moment in, I think, one of the Webern pieces where towards the end, yes, one of the cellos did a big slide or glissando. And Alex just sort of sat bolt upright in his chair and looked to the side to all of us like, oh, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And then afterwards he said, I just wasn't aware that a cello was allowed to do that. And I don't know what letter they were pairing with that. I think that was quite near the end. I think it was before the suffragette letter. So let's talk the extracts. Yeah, okay. please. The concert was billed as... Humanity and war. Humanity and war. Commemoration, very specifically, of World War One. Now, quite why August 2023 struck the Amatis trio as the time to really sort World War One out, I don't know. So there was a slight feeling of, what is this all about, in a way? Because I know there's maybe a tendency for festivals to be overly themed and for everything to sort of tie into 
some sort of arbitrary concept for the whole set of concerts. But this just felt like slightly random, I don't know, mm. to happen now. And then the extracts were, I'd say, quite conservatively chosen for those of us who know or have grown up learning about World War One. I. I mean, so the first few letters were about I've arrived in the trenches and the trenches are awful and here was an attack in the trenches and then here are the, some rats yeah the rats and then here's the christmas truce and I, I my tone sounds like i'm belittling those things but i'm not you know but, but you were like these could be gcse drama gobbit selections yes, in an these exam are that you elements of the first world war with which i think the audience will be very familiar if you're doing things to do with the first world war on family fortunes <laughs> yes these are a, big scoring answers a little bit and I, and I sort of felt that they'd brought us together in this space with professional musicians and a very famous reader and thought oh we're gonna maybe push some sort of conceptual boundary here not sort of to go all dadaist or anything but there were moments of that more in the second half i guess and there was a nice scene of I suppose a forgotten moment in the war, which is the start of 1918 when the Germans signed the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk with the Russians. So one of the letters was a German having to sort of make nice with all these Russians and having a big sort of party to celebrate the peace treaty between the Germans and the Russians in early 1918. And that was a strange scene and that was unexpected and not something I was familiar with. So I enjoyed that extract. Although the word Stalinist, I don't know if you saw that, came up yeah. In the letter. These Russians have got a real Stalinist feel to them. I was like, hang on, how would anyone in 1918 have had that? Well, that anyway. letter writer was just really into the kind yeah. of dynamics of like czarist prisons and, and who, yeah. who were the ones that were going to really smash it when they were all released. When the letter said, I can't wait for this First World War to be over. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I sort of felt that there was perhaps a bit of missed opportunity, maybe. A bit more dissent. It felt there was like sadness, horror, anguish. Mm -hmm. It didn't seem like super duper anti-establishment. There wasn't much stuff that was critical. And I suppose maybe that's because of censorship at the time. And maybe they don't have those documents sure. to be able to show to us. But like there wasn't much of that dynamic on display, maybe. I think you could have found it if that was your angle for assembling the concert. But I think the angle for assembling the concert was very much, wasn't the First World War terrible? We can't disagree with that. We take. can't disagree with that as a thesis. And I suppose the whole idea of lest we forget is that we need constantly to be reminded of how terrible it was. So there's nothing ignoble about the uh, <laughs> the concert lineup. I, I just sort of felt there was a lot of stuff about the Christmas truce. Mm. And I now can't think of that without thinking of that extraordinary Sainsbury's Oh, yeah. in 2014. <laughs> the weirdest bit, though, was ending with a quotation from Chamberlain in 1938. Yes. Saying, whoever in war claims to be the victor, there are no winners, there are only losers. And... Appease harder. Yeah, it, it was... <laughs> those words in and of themselves are good words, but then, like, coming from that person, from that particular context, like, oh, yeah, but we've sort of now generally taken it to be that that war was worth fighting and yeah. Chamberlain was not on the right path in seeking at all costs to avoid. And, and perversely, the prioritisation yeah. of that mentality might have made conflict overall more likely. Yeah. As a so result. just, I mean, it's good words, but it, it just felt 
a little odd. If it wasn't for Churchill, we'd all be listening to German letters yeah, on Radio 3. Yeah, and I'd be a lot happier. <laughs> <laughs> no, there'd be a bit of you being like, and they wouldn't even read the English letters out. They had to say yes. it in German, and be saying all of that in German. Well, I did also enjoy the penultimate reading, which was, I think, the German and Austrian suffragettes organisation. Like at all, Kieran. I do have it here. Yeah, lob it over, addressing the British suffragettes and expressing a general weariness with war in general as a masculine concept and basically sort of saying, yes, if we all ran things a little bit more sensibly, I think it's fair to say that women of the world remain united despite all of this idiocy. And I thought that was a perspective, again, that I had not heard, the kind of international solidarity of women's movements, despite the carnage going on. So the theme was humanity in war, and we heard a lot of that. I'm also aware I'm now rabbiting on about the texts, and the whole idea is that this was a gig, and it's quite rare Text for breaks. a classical <laughs> music performance to have loads of text in it. So this <laughs> maybe not, yeah. We've certainly spent long parts of episodes in the past talking about a band's patter. I wouldn't exactly <laughs> yeah, call sort of Trench's letters as read by Thomas Kwartzoff. Patter. Yeah, a very basic <laughs> trench patter. Yeah. Gas, gas, quick boys, etc. <laughs> Who did you have your eye on most in the trio themselves? Obviously, in the first half, we actually had quite limited sightlines, but then we made an opportunistic interval switch. Yes, we moved from sort of behind the pianist to round into front and centre in the gallery next to a man who, as we sat down, just sort of leaned over and said, Weyburn was killed in 1945 by an American soldier. And then left back <laughs> in his chair. He had a sort of opera-themed T-shirt on, didn't he? Yes. And he also said, so did you miss the first half then? And we said, no, we've moved here. And there was that moment of tension, wasn't there? We thought, is he going to rat us out to the Queen's Hall authorities for having moved seats? He's paid full whack for the eyeline and is probably annoyed that we've moved into that zone. But it wasn't full. It wasn't full. There was room to move with minimal doubt of inconveniencing others. We were all supporting yeah. the great venture of classical music. <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to just... More than I would say most music gigs where it's sort of a mix of people who really like the band and people who quite like the band. How many people at that gig would have been having these thoughts about sort of looking at the programmes, getting sort of excited about certain things, thinking about the ways it was being played, and how many people were just there to have a serene experience out? I just don't know. And I, I'm really interested to hear what you two got out of it, really, because it was a moment of serenity. I mean, it started at 11 o'clock. In the middle of a busy fringe, that's not a time that we're usually engaging with art art and content. And it was, for all the drama of the readings, there was a lot of very serene contemplative music. And I found myself, quite apart from the content and what I was meant to be thinking about, just enjoying, as one often does, I think, in classical concerts, the experience of being there in a little bit of hallowed ground away from the busyness of the world. Did you feel that? I felt that, and especially, as you say, because it's in the fringe and because it's level, it felt like a much nicer way to start my day than mm. the usual up here. Yes, I agree with that as well. It was the really very peaceful start of a day, which then later on became much, much more stressful. Tends to make me <laughs> even more nostalgic <laughs> at that little window. And but yeah, I often... I want to keep talking about the gig aspect because we're gig pigs. Thank you, Kate. And... Yeah, it is often sometimes hard to tell in a classical concert 
what anyone's getting out of it <laughs> because the audience can be really undemonstrative to the point of looking very sour um, <laughs> at what they're listening to. And yet you think, well, why have you paid and turned up and why are you sitting through it all if you're just sort of wearing this furrowed expression? I often find myself feeling delight and joy and surprise and even sort of humour at classical music concerts. And then I look around and I see no one else is exhibiting <laughs> any of those emotions whatsoever. And I think, why are we all here? <laughs> but people, I suppose, are just feeling it more deeply, I suppose. I'm always tempted as someone that doesn't know that much or if mm. I'm being blown away by a rendition of some piece that I don't know well and I'm experiencing it on, wow, this is an amazing piece, which mm. it is. But if I'm looking around at someone with a completely neutral to, if anything, negative facial expression, I then think, oh, is this just like a bad rendition of this piece? Do they actually know that this could be better? I think it's annoying because, and I am going to have a go at the audiences here, <laughs> because when you go to an actual gig, which I do go to, <laughs> if you're in the middle of the, a great song and the band are really nailing it, and there's often that moment of looking to the side to your gig companion going, yeah, like, yes, great. In it. And they go, yeah, it's amazing. And there's that shared joy at how brilliant this thing is that you're witnessing. And you, you sort of never get that classical concert. You don't sort of look to your side and go, ah, that oboe solo fucking rocked. We got you doing the meat and potatoes, eating oh, that meat was and potatoes great. sign on the first Schubert. Yes, I gave you that. That's fun. <laughs> also, there was a, an audience member who my main reference for this being the last two minutes of Stuart Lee's filming of If You Prefer a Milder Comedian, which is that they walked out at like the worst possible time in the concert, which was... I think like literally it was during the Chamberlain. It was during the Chamberlain the quote. Sentence. It's like a three yeah. line quote. <laughs> and then, yeah, this person quite loudly started slowly exiting the auditorium. Banging their walking stick on the chairs yeah. as they walked out. Yeah. It's, like, it's been recorded for BBC Radio 3. You're giving an editor 20 minutes of very <laughs> annoying work for what you've just done there. I think leaving a concert early when it's so clearly so close to the end is a bit of a shame, bordering on disrespectful. I think that possibly... Thank you very much again for all of the work you do on producing and editing this podcast. <laughs> I don't think you can expect them to keep in mind that the clank of their stick is going to add to the studio job of the specific editor. Well, you're making the moment weird for a few hundred people in the room with you. As Kieran's already said, Neville Chamberlain's making the moment weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other one that often annoys sound engineers is the opposite, which is an audience coming in with applause too early which was prevented very nicely at the end of this by the decorous holding on of the bows. Did you see that? Mm -mm. And then slowly removing them so that the audience is not given the cue to clap until a few seconds of silence have elapsed. The bows go down and we all clap. Because sometimes, yeah, an audience just sort of comes in right over the top of a very quiet contemplative ending. Someone just go like that. And it sort of ruins the divine tension that has been created by the musicians and also creates a nightmare for editing that recording because you just hear some sort of belch over the top. <laughs> Again, it's always the audience's fault in classical music. Well, I'm pleased we've just done our gig pigs live in Edinburgh where we went to see First Aid Kit at the O2 Academy and there was quite a lot of chat from particularly our friend and guest Chloe about rowdy behaviour. And I think it's nice that we're matching that with 
various expressions of disappointment at people at the Queen's Hall, including that quite laddie man who'd left my show early the day before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I wasn't expecting to bump him to him again. Do you want to recount for the listener what happened there? Oh, I don't think it's essential. As we were walking in, you're a comedian, aren't you? Just out of nowhere, <laughs> hurled at... Well, it could have been all three of us, but I think we knew <laughs> it was most likely to be that one. It took him some time to arrive at the like memory of being... At, well, no, the name's fine, but just being sure that it was me that he'd seen the night before and left at 35 minutes into a 60s. Yeah, we so. left your show early, actually. We had another one booked an hour later, so we couldn't make it. Sorry about that. Like, what are you meant to do with that but, Kieran, the great joy in your... Solidarity bordering on contempt means that I'd happily have that person have left my show early, even though it was slightly disruptive, to get to enjoy your indignation on my behalf rather yeah, than not happen at all. The wonderful sense of power that he had over you subsequent to that was when we were going to the loo at the interval, he just sort of came out of his cubicle, saw you and said, so do you do music at school then? <laughs> getting like an amount of post-show Q&A with performer that audience members that watch the whole show don't yeah. get no. or want <laughs> I think he might have been as I said from if not the same school as me then a, a similar yes it was a question filled with his own nostalgia and I don't mind those questions obviously <laughs> and he certainly didn't stick around in the toilet area to hear my quite tedious answer about being in lower chapel choir for a bit but not really making the step up <laughs> grade three classical guitar and that's literally it kieran could you tell the listener your musical instruments yes please piano and violin two-thirds of the amartis trio yes <laughs> <laughs> alas the cello is beyond me yeah both sadly neglected for many a year the piano in particular I played the violin for a few years in an amateur orchestra in London, but having now left London, I have yet to find a replacement orchestra to join in my new home of Glasgow. So the violin is gathering dust at the moment, which is sad because the bits of my brain that know how to play it are also gathering dust. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I need to really get the hoover in there, sharpish, or it might be irretrievable, which is sad, very sad, because it's one of the great joys of my life. Did you do more in the lockdowns at all? Did you Much less. Much less. I'm not a great... So here's a real boast. I grew up in a detached house <laughs> and that was great for practising musical instruments because I had no fear of being overheard or listened to by neighbours. But in my adult life, I've lived exclusively in flats. Right. And I have an absolute terror of creating too much noise which i think is a problem and i need to address but the idea of practicing at length within earshot of a number of fellow people you're not in the starting building, drums you're an accomplished violinist that's accomplished uh, that's... is so <laughs> strong such a strong word i also can't really stand the sound of myself this is why i like playing in an orchestra right because you just get absorbed within the general wash and you're not so acutely aware of every note that you're playing wrong not that the Amatis Trio played any notes wrong, of course. They were fantastic. It was impeccable. Did you enjoy the music? I did, yeah. I was listening to some Schubert on the way to this recording. Mm -hmm. uh, the meat and potatoes. The old... It's very good. I like that. Fans of Barry Lyndon really... Uh, oh, is that where... Uh, yes. Yes. Really appreciate that piece. But it's very famous. I mean, it's been used on a great many things. 
And I like the final. What was the final? Was it? It was. It was a sort of um, modern, piece that split over two different. It was sort of the bread of a letter sandwich. Yes, it was Rebecca Clark's piano trio, second movement, Andante molto semplice. Yes, I really enjoyed that. I must say, I don't know who Rebecca Clark is, but I really liked it. It sounded a lot more modern. It sounded sort of more cinematic in its idiom, and they sort of played it and then held it underneath the open letter from the German and Austrian suffragette women before concluding it and concluding the concert with it. And yeah, thought, yeah, it was that very, was my favourite bit. I really liked that. Yeah, that Would it be terribly done. basic of me, Kieran, to ask you what your favourite ever, I think maybe even favourite ever performance of classical music you've ever watched and favourite ever pop concert as well? Favourite classical performance I ever saw was this orchestra called the Aurora Orchestra. And their shtick, gimmick, but it's a good one, is that they memorise the pieces. So they're not sitting, reading off a music stand. They are just standing and often walking around, freely playing the music from memory. And they were playing a wonderful piece by a composer called Hector Berlioz called Symphonie Fantastique, which is an incredibly sort of wild and vivid romantic piece inspired by a doomed love affair and heavily influenced by the composer's taking of opium. And... <laughs> It's what we call programmatic music, where it tells a story through the music. And this was at the Royal Albert Hall at the proms four or five years ago. And Matthew Bainton, best known from Horrible Histories and Ghosts and many other things, was a speaker who was able to introduce the music both before and during. The Kwanstoff role, yes. played by Bainton. Yes, but a bit more, here's what you're going to hear and here's why it's interesting. And what they did was... Because they, he has a... Genuine interest in it? Or, I think so, yeah. Or, or, which was, is, I don't or, or maybe was... I, present I, yeah, that as I, if that's a sort of great surprise, but... But he was excellent at it. And what they did very beautifully was they didn't just want to impress you by having memorised it. They used the fact that it was memorised as a means of liberating the orchestra from its traditional staging, I guess, where everyone sits in their allocated place and just plays. And so as the music changed and different instruments had solos or there were different smaller ensembles within the larger piece they reflected that in choreography and so the orchestra was constantly mobile and it really brought new dimensions to the piece even though it was very familiar to me and then in the end the final movement is called the witch's sabbath and it's quite demonic in tone and so there was amazing lighting and all of the musicians put on these scary animal masks and sort of played like that and it just it's already a fantastic, very exciting elemental piece of music, but they added so much to it and it was really thrilling to see. They continue to do similar concerts with various pieces. So yeah, the Aurora Orchestra. Where was that and when was that, did you say? I think it was at the proms in maybe 2019, I'm going to say, in the Royal Albert Hall, where proms traditionally take place. When you say they would sort of sometimes move around on stage and things, does that affect eye contact with the conductor or is there a, you know? Yeah, a little bit. But they found workarounds, I, right. I suppose. And is the conductor less important if they know it all from yes, memory? Yes, absolutely. So there's one bit, the third movement is called Scene in the Fields. And it begins with the idea of a shepherd boy piping alone in the field, which is done by a, a solo corps anglais, I think, or a solo oboe. And usually this solo oboe is just sitting in the middle of the orchestra doing his lonely shepherd boy solo. They sent him to the other side of the hall. Oh, great. And so there was this real sense of physical distance. And all of a sudden, the hall kind of was manifested as the rural landscape that we were seeing this pastoral scene in. And the call and response between 
the Lonely Shepherd Boy and then the rest of the orchestra was really beautifully played. And uh, I just, yeah, really gave a kick to someone like me. Well, just anything with that extra degree of immersion. Mm. I think we, Kieran, might have both attended a performance of Julius Caesar at the Bridge Theatre. Yes! About seven or eight years yes, ago. Yes, Ben Wishel. Where they were. I was they, at that, but a different day. They were moving around all over the place. They were, that was that good. Was very exciting. It was very exciting. There was a lot of running up and down and yelling. It's fantastic. It's always a sign of a good Shakespeare, I think. <laughs> and my only real modern reference I can think of is that David Byrne from Talking Heads did an amazing show called American Utopia a few years ago where the band members came out in turn with individual instruments around their necks and they you were never looking at a full band in a standard arrangement on stage. They were all just sort of popping mm. in and popping out from behind this very sort of, I want to say glittery curtain. I imagine it wasn't it was a little bit more ornate than that. But And again, it, you know, as theatrical technique, I'm sure it sounds very simple to anyone doing A-level theatre studies, but it doesn't take much to really dynamise what is a form of music making that is very set in its ways, shall we say. <laughs> And my best pop concert was Stevie Wonder at Clapham Common in 2014. Two and a half hours, hit after hit. His patter was great because he did this bit where he did this London accent, which was really quite ropey. But it was like, people think that I'm American, but I'm not. I'm actually from London. <laughs> so enjoyably sort of Simpsonsy. Yeah. Um, oh, and really um, they started off by playing How Sweet It Is brackets to be loved by you and we were all there we'd all sat through Paloma Faith and we were like come on where's Stevie Wonder gonna come on and then you just heard just that bass riff just going on and on and over the top of this bass riff on comes the drummer starts playing the drums joining in still that bass riff and then on comes guitarists and on come backing singers and on comes everyone all playing along until this it's all built up. The whole band's playing this repeated intro over the top of do 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 and then who comes out holding holding uh <laughs> holding a keyboard strapped over his shoulder, Stevie Wonder, and it turns out he's the one who's been playing that Amazing. riff the whole oh, time. Fantastic. And the response from the audience is just like utter, like <laughs> ecstasy. And we're just like, yes, <laughs> give us more. And he did, hour after hour. Unbelievable. Two pretty stunning answers. Two enviable life experiences. Oh, thanks. Would you like to recommend anything that you've been enjoying musically? We often ask our guests. Well, if I'm going to recommend a gig to pig at, it would probably be the prom coming up a week on Sunday on the 27th, final day of the Fringe, unless you're doing Pointless Monday. <laughs> I will say that this podcast will probably not be released for years. For, for probably, I would say, a couple of months. Okay. But will they be able to retrospectively access a recording of this concert? Yeah. It'll be on BBC Sounds for a year afterwards, I think. Yes, well, it will definitely be out. And if not, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Simon Rattle is going to be conducting... I think the London Symphony Orchestra playing Mahler's Ninth Symphony. And I mean, to my little mind, Mahler 9 is the, it's the sort of greatest piece of music I think that's been written, or at least to my taste. And Simon Rattle is an absolutely extraordinary interpreter of Mahler's music. So yes, I think that sort of doesn't get much better than that. And I will certainly be listening to it on the train home after my final performance on that Sunday. What a lovely thing to have sort of locked in in your head. Yeah, it doesn't get much sweeter. 
and you can stand at a prom. Apparently, there was a question about sitting or standing, and you were worried <laughs> that this wasn't applicable to, to classical music. Well, I'm here to tell you now that you can stand. You can stand in the proms. You can stand at the Vienna State Opera. I stood through the ring cycle in 2010 at the Wiener Staatsoper. Yeah, it was great. Thank you for cleaving so closely to the format points of this. <laughs> I don't want to ruin your format. 15 hours no, of standing. No, no, really working. Thank you yeah. for giving us a fresh take, or rather, I suppose, a sort of stale, centuries-old classical take on these, uh, <laughs> these, these dilemmas with which we wrestle. Well, we hope that our listeners are able, as you promised, to <laughs> seek out Sunday, the 27th prom. And also, obviously, we'll know by that point the events of the end of the Edinburgh Fringe and... What garlands Hodgson will have around his neck as he sits on that train. <laughs> yes, what nooses. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I hope that my choice of concert and my chat about it hasn't been a huge buzzkill. In my mind, all of your other guests are talking about, I don't know, Prodigy and Paloma Faith <laughs> and um, the Dua Lipa <laughs> and about how you all had a wild old time jumping and jiving and yeah I've sort of brought you into the trenches You've blown our minds, we can stand, we can stand at these things now we know, <laughs> this is you telling us that we can have the same experience, it's great Yes, we're not so different, you and I <laughs> I think yeah, probably a sort of solid 40 to 50% of our episodes are didn't we have a great and often quite rowdy time at that gig, but there's also a good old chunk of, I found that bit a bit baffling or annoying or aren't concerts in general incredibly stressful? It's not just a single Hodgson-shaped outlier. Good, good. Good to have the odd episode, which is nice to see a superstar, but possibly misused. And could we've had a bit more specificity to some of these World War One experiences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And ice cream at halftime. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's obviously... That should happen more at pop gigs, actually. Yeah. No, I think I'd like it to be a rarefied treat <laughs> from a higher form of culture. Thank you. Kieran, would you like to recommend anything of your own work? Are you going to take Big in Scotland on tour? I will be touring Big in Scotland around this United Kingdom of ours in the autumn of this year and the spring of the next. So check out berksnest.com forward slash Kieran and you'll see all the dates there. You and must your do it. It's so good. Radio so show good. about earworms, about classical music as well. Oh, if you can find it anywhere, then enjoy. I remain really proud of it. I don't think anyone listened to it at the time, and it certainly was not recommissioned. But I've got the recordings, and I know it's it's a very um, hideously sort of grubby thing to do, but I occasionally re-listen to them, and I think, yeah, it was good. They're there. I looked them up, and they are. It's always nice when things are gives me faith in the longevity of sounds when they're, they're oh, it's in BBC sounds mm. and the longevity of just sounds in general <laughs> where you are you're in character as Ralph yes a big note came from the comedy bigwigs at Radio 4 that Kieran was not funny enough so very late in the day I had to just become this slightly annoying character called Ralph Lewis who's a, a real classical music snob and is trying to educate his friend Paul. His flatmate. Yes, in the ways of classical music, played by Colin Holt, in an only slightly exaggerated <laughs> version of what I've been doing with you guys for the last hour. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a fun, silly show. And I talked about four dead white men composers and had a lovely time. So yeah, if you enjoy that kind of thing, then please go and listen to it. I don't get any royalties. <laughs> Who would? Marla? No one. No, no one. It's a royalty-free zone. <laughs> and we're not exactly turning any big profits ourselves. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure, Kieran. What a delight. Thank you for having me. 
I would do anything for gig pigs, but I wouldn't do that. I said as Alex proposed that we do the tale for this episode backstage at the Sheffield City Hall <laughs> while we are, uh, I don't know if you can pick up on any of it, but our experience of being backstage has been hearing a lot of a meatloaf we, two, musical. Two members of the meatloaf musical cast s- sort of stormed is a strong word, but and en- very confidently entered Ivo and, and, and my dressing room yes. uh, saying it's call time when it was about two minutes off. Basically... Even the meatloaf gang think they should be in this dressing room. <laughs> and we're so close. So there's the audio loop that you can turn on to be able to hear what's on stage at the stage. So our, our dressing room one did not wasn't connected to Ivo's <laughs> venue. Yes. Uh, but it was connected to the meatloaf one. So what we did turn it off as a distraction for a while. But we are so close to the stage that we can just hear it pouring through the walls. One of the lovely uh, eccentric things of uh, touring and doing <laughs> venues like the Sheffield City Hall is there are often uh, two rooms and uh, often the building can be very dominated by uh, what is uh, in the louder and bigger room and that is the case tonight. Yeah, but yeah. I, important to also say first You've got to think the meatloaf cast are going these fucking top trumps are so far. <laughs> <laughs> top trumps are very loud tonight in the <laughs> Memorial Hall. I had a lovely time uh, uh, doing the Sheffield Memorial Hall. Um, we had a pretty much Sheffield only interval playlist which I was very pleased with. Uh, the song My Propeller uh, by the Arctic Monkeys, despite the fact that Humbug is possibly my least favourite Arctic Monkeys album. Uh, my propeller is looming large for me at the moment. Anyway, enough of all that. That was Kieran Hodgson. <laughs> um, we we do, we do feel that uh, we have sort of sprinkled our Yorkshire experience around this Kieran episode. We just, just after finishing the top, we exited our car in the car park of the Yorkshire Sculpture Park and went to enjoy the, the fruits therein. Well, some sumptuous gnocchi in the canteen, which Kieran had recommended, and then we had a lovely walk around uh, looking at some um, uh, colossal uh, humanoid sculptures, which I'm afraid to say, without further research, I couldn't really sort of describe what they were trying to achieve, but they were impressive and unsettling. <laughs> um, they also had loads oh, of ladybirds, ladybirds, so don't get too close. I've never felt... Uh, menaced by ladybugs yeah. before. They love being on me. Yes, and you're already coming down with something you didn't need a swarmo <laughs> bugs to. Um, uh, I spent most of the walk also agonising about uh, having described Kieran in the top as modern comedy's greatest Yorkshireman, which I obviously adore the work of Kieran Hodgson, as I think is uh, very clear. Um, but what did you say? You you live by the sweeping statement. <laughs> you die by the sweeping statement. <laughs> Just possessed by things. And of course, Yorkshire's produced all sorts of fantastic comedians, including our friend and uh, Kieran's friend and our and Kieran's peer, Liam Williams, who's done some pretty great stand-up and a radio and TV series about his childhood in Yorkshire. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. so you know, there's, there's, there's loads of great stuff. Um, but uh, nonetheless, it was such a pleasure to have Kieran on the episode. We hope uh, that uh, you enjoyed listening to him and his many voices, and you can hear more of his voices on his live tour, Big in Scotland, or uh, on his radio show, which uh, we already mentioned. And a, uh, a, a, a little extra recommendation of uh, mine in terms of Kieran's oeuvre is oh, yes. that he uh, has narrated an audio book uh, by Denise Mina uh, called Three Fires, which is on BBC Sounds. It's a really like interesting kind of uh, historical 
novel sort of but it's kind of satirical and it's about the kind of bonfire the vanities in renaissance italy and about sort of book burning and religion and uh extremism i suppose but it's really it's a really interesting style and there's like elements of it being you know um historical speak and then also sort of lots of like quite silly meta contemporary jokes and phraseology and kieran reads it uh beautifully so i don't know but i don't know whether he had any hand in adapting it at all but he certainly reads it beautifully and so what a lovely what sounds. a lovely bonus recommendation i think he was he was already uh, uh seemingly quite uh, delighted that we'd uh, plugged earworms and now you've gone even deeper into the canon <laughs> uh, is that your recommendation just sort of in general no uh, my my classical music recommendation is just uh maybe it's a basic one but i really like max richter um uh, i think we mentioned him on the podcast maybe in terms of um the songs that are used as a kind of emotional blackmail on on an audience you've you've resented the use of max richter in the past uh, yes um uh but that he has a piece of music which i probably have not listened to in its entirety and the reason for that is it's called sleep uh and it's an eight hour you know, it's an, it's an eight-hour album, and the whole point is that you put it on uh, as you go to sleep, and it's like a sort of series of iterative looping l- lullabies, and it's very beautiful. And some of the main um, themes and motifs are, are great, and there's just like slight tweaks throughout. So there's probably only about eight main tunes in it over the eight hours. But um, he's done um, installations where people kind of gather somewhere at like 10 p.m in their gym jams and then there's like a hundred beds out and the audience get into bed and then the orchestra just play for eight hours this um this piece called uh uh sleep so yeah max richter sleep you're recommending the, the actual piece of music but you're also recommending that if you get the chance to join in one of these uh, <laughs> i would love that gorilla. is the ultimate gig pig we could we, we oh. imagine imagine trying to do you think we could get anyone to go and do an eight hour gig pig with us predominantly not conscious uh uh well, I mean, it, well, if it's just sleeping, it's, it's sort sleeping, of like you've got to sleep. You, you'd be doing it anyway. You've got to sleep. Yeah, yeah. It's still, still got a weird pitch. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to hang out? Mm, can you? Can you not be awake? Ideally, <laughs> it would be a fantastic first for I would say not just our podcast, but, but you know, I, I we're getting I, giddy. We've I, had a classical music first, and now we want a not conscious first. Um, I uh, pillow pigs. No, it's, <laughs> it doesn't rhyme, but it's it's nice enough. Uh, pillow sows doesn't really rhyme. That's for uh, pillow sows. Pillow. That's like a rice thing. It does sound like a rice <laughs> thing. Um, I, uh, in the absence of any more rhymes, for I have none, uh, I will recommend. I mean, this is an, it's another daughter-based cop out because if I were on, as we all love to imagine, Desert Island Discs, I would want to have a piece of classical music, but I don't really know what what <laughs> what what one is burning inside me. But I can tell you what piece of classical music is almost certainly going to be on my Spotify wrapped in three months, and that is a song from the soundtrack to Tinkerbell and the Never Beast, <laughs> uh, which is uh, a, a, a really what? harrowing reading by Thomas Kvasthoff. Just <laughs> yeah, at the beginning of that. Kvasthoff is notable by his absence. <laughs> Tinkerbell and the Never Beast. He would scoff, I think, at the plot. These Peter Pan prequels, their plots are absolute garbage, but their soundtracks are pretty fun. Um, this one's got a couple of bangers by Katie Tunstall, um, but it also has, you know, that, that classic thing of going, 
if I tried to play this kind of music to my daughter without the context of it being in Tigvan and Never Beast, it's basically a chase sequence called Scouts Hunt for Gruff. And I quite <laughs> like the fact that I already can't escape Scouts Hunt for Gruff. And now, a bit like the Italo Disco song you hate, I'm putting it in extra swill as well. Um, <laughs> but I would genuinely welcome any correspondence about uh, the, the, the music, that not just the pop music that your, your kid likes, but also the sort of th- that sort of thing where it's like, my kid doesn't like classical music but they like this. Um, she, uh, she likes to chase me around the flat, waving whatever approximates a sword, as we imagine that one of us is a scout and one of us is gruff or something. It's very sweet. Um, we should also say that you can email Geek Pigs Podcast uh, to discuss any uh, um, musical responses you have to this or any episode. Geekpigspodcast at gmail.com. To answer things uh, from this episode, you might say... You would say, Dear, have you ever been at a gig where an audience member unprompted informs you that the <laughs> composer and or bandmate died, uh, preferably in some kind of major international conflagration in the it's mid-20th century? One of the more specific uh, yes. questions we've, we've, we've asked. But, let's, uh, think, let's, let's ask the hive mind anyway. I'd love it to pop up. Um, or uh, I suppose, what's the most encores you've ever seen <laughs> yeah. demanded? Um, I imagine seven is seven is loads, isn't it? I think th- I think three is probably the most I've ever seen. And I certainly don't, I don't think I've seen more than two at a, at a non-classical gig, really. Right, right, right. Um, but again, that's what could be emailed in. We received some lovely emails, and I'm going to read one, and Alex is going to read one. Um, this email is uh, from Ruby Luck, and it says, "Dear Piglets, I felt compelled to write in following this week's episode on Harry Styles. I was also in attendance at the first night of the Wembley dates with my sister in tow. We are, I imagine, a more stereotypical find at these gigs as 25 and 17 year old women." and unsurprisingly spent the entire gig screaming along with the tens of thousands of others. The reason I wrote in is regarding the atmosphere at this gig. It was like nothing I've experienced before. My sister and I both have a genetic sight loss condition, so rely very heavily on the atmosphere, the music, and most importantly, a good, bright pyrotechnic to get the essence of a gig. Having attended many a gig in both small and large venues, as well as being serial Glastonbury attendees with our dad, we both agreed the atmosphere, brackets at styles, was like nothing else we felt. I think as young women, and especially disabled young women, gigs can feel quite a vulnerable space to find yourself in. I've never felt more confident and free than at that gig. It's an atmosphere I didn't expect to find in the cavernous space of Wembley, and one I imagine not so easily replicated. One thing I don't wish to replicate about that gig is having to leave a government department office at 4pm in a feather boa, glitter and matching crochet (laughs) top and hat. The rush to leave the building without bumping into a minister was a tense one. Keep oinking. Jacob Rees-Mogg just sternly saying, not only why are you not at your desk, but why are you in a feather boa? I was going to ask you immediately which 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 MP which minister would you least like he to He performatively thinks a civil service don't put enough of a shift in because apparently people work harder when their computers but of course I reckon mixed working probably yields the greater productivity. It does yield and we don't have to go into bat for Reese Mogg no. you'd have to say uh, he, 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 his cause would be helped by bumping into Ruby at 4pm. Yes, it doesn't scream. Yes, yes, I, it doesn't scream. Not. But speaking of screaming, Harry Styles was Harry Styles an great, ecstatic event as we discussed in the episode with James that we recommend very heartily. I've really enjoyed um, over the course of this podcast talking to some of our guests about some of the more stressful and anxious aspects of, of live music which are undeniable and you know how you manage that and also what gigs liberate you from that and it's I, I do think Harry Styles was quite clearly a, a space of um, freedom and, and, and acceptance and, and, and just joyous relaxation. Yes, Styles, self-esteem and Caroline Polachek are the three huge energy yet warm respectful happy uh gigs and i'm not going to balance that out with the three most uh toxic because toxic i don't think because even you the the desire to be like napalm death it's like no no they were just telling us to be vegan all gig yes exactly and (laughs) and there was kindness in that pit (laughs) 
Um, Alex, do you have an email? Yes, I've got an email. This is from Peter Krach. I'm going to go K-R-A-G-H, Krach. I think that's lovely. Let's go with that. Dear Ivo and Alex, love the podcast. Just writing to cast a vote for Mew. Yes. As a Dane who is similarly mired in nostalgia for Naughty's indie, Mew are part of that pantheon for me. They were one of the mainstays of the Danish indie music scene in the noughties and reached some crossover success with the indie pop anthem Comforting Sounds. I think it was also featured on an episode of Eastbound and Down. I don't know what Eastbound and Down is. Is it like is it I like a sort of OC? I don't know either, but I think it is quite a big thing. It's quite a big thing. So, or if was. No- <laughs> R.I.P. Eastbound and Down, presumably. Um, so, if nothing else, you could see Mew as an opportunity to connect with a potential listenership of several handfuls of Danish millennials. Just kidding. Mew are great, and I would love to hear you cover them on the podcast. Best, Peter from Copenhagen. What's very annoying, Peter from Copenhagen, is that Alex um, uh, caught me at a moment of, I would say, uh, in, um, mild impatience <laughs> uh, when, uh, when you decided to launch the Mew campaign. Yes. And so, I wasn't responding well to the um, qu- quite strange bits of Mew music that you were playing in the car. It's, it's, a, it's a quite a lot of cooing and mewing, indeed, in terms of how... Uh, Jonas Bier um, but his name's like a beer isn't it they're, Simon they're, Amstel they're like the beer. wonderful uh, they're, 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 they're an eccentric art pop outfit they are um, and it's very funny that Comforting Sounds is like they've had some they, they had a little crossover success with Comforting Sounds a like eight minute it's a real it's an opus that piece it's not it's 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 not their smells like teen spirit, e- <laughs> but even, I guess it even is. you are struggling to to, to truly <laughs> recommend it because <laughs> then we discussed presumably in an episode of the podcast or was it possibly even was it a Patreon episode potentially yes uh, and our uh, Patreon is um it's very much uh, uh, available now now for five pounds because the three pound eighty tier is gone um, <laughs> but we're having a lovely time and uh, last week we recorded uh, forty five minutes of Patreon just about the front page of a Q magazine from two thousand and five <laughs> and it was the happiest I've ever been so really we are going to do more of that sort of thing um for this week's Patreon we are probably going to do something a bit more along the lines of uh, classical music um but cards on the table haven't decided what that's going to be yet and there'll probably be more Q front pages in the the pipeline too <laughs> anyway we said on the uh, podcast that you'd propose Mew and I'd been like that's unlikely to happen and to get that email so quickly so quickly like go and see Mew it's 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 listen it's not gonna seal the deal but it has made me concede that there are some divine Scandinavian forces pushing us let's towards... give our listeners some comforting sounds right we hope these sounds have been comforting <laughs> um it was such a pleasure to have Kieran uh, on the podcast and go to watch the Amartis trio at Edinburgh with him and you'll be hearing a little bit more about uh, musical adventures at the Edinburgh festival in uh, in the next couple of weeks alongside lots of other gigs we're having a lovely autumn doing the pod we hope you're enjoying it meatloaf is still playing at the city hall <laughs> but we're gonna start our drive we home to be some pigs out of uh, Hull. No, if only we were there, but some rats out of Sheffield. Some, some bats out of the larger Yorkshire conurbation. Thank you for listening. <laughs>